you believe that you are called to something greater than just taking up space and one day dying? Amen. Say, what a way to introduce a sermon. Well, I want to talk to you about significant Christianity. So would you take your Bibles today, go to the book of Acts, the second chapter. That's where we've been the last couple of Sundays. And as you're doing that, let me greet our campuses that are joining with us. My name is Eddie Couples, and I'm the lead pastor for Love and Truth Ministries, and I'm glad you're with us today. I'm thankful for every campus pastor that we have and the great job that they're doing. And I pray right now that you're getting ready to receive what God would say, whether you're up in Illinois or somewhere in Tennessee, that you're here hearing the Word of God directly being spoken to you just as we're hearing it here, knowing that God is going to change our lives. So get ready this morning to receive the Word of God engrafted into your life. The book of Acts, the second chapter, is where we've been over the past few weeks. And so would you this morning take your Bibles and go there. I'm going to read out of, out of the second chapter beginning in verse number 42. And I'm reading out of the NIV uh, version of the Bible. Some people call it the nearly inspired version. So uh, would you look there in verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now we begin this process of talking about significant Christianity the first week, talking about my witness, how that you and I are called of the Lord to be witnesses. In fact, the, the Bible says that as they gathered together, that the Lord added to their midst daily such as should be saved. So I really believe with all of my heart that if we're not growing at the rate of at least one new person a day, that we're not fulfilling our potential in the kingdom of God. So we've got to get after it. Then we talked last week about our worship, what it meant to worship. The Word of God says they continued in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the temple there in worship. And we talked about the different aspects of how the Scripture tells us to lift holy hands. The Word of God says to clap your hands. The Bible says to shout on the Lord. The Bible says that you're to dance before the Lord. All of these things, but it all flows out of the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. And that leads us right right into what I want to talk to you about today, because today I want to talk to you about my relationships, okay? And so if it's important for me to have a relationship with somebody else or with God, how do I go about doing that? And so as I found out how do I go about living out my life in a witness, how do I go about living out my life with my worship, today we're going to talk about how to live your life out in relationships. Now let me tell you something about relationships. Relationships can be messy, Right? How many of you found out that when you are in a relationship with somebody, they don't always do what you want them to do? Right? I mean, you, you say, I, I want, you know, have you ever had this discussion maybe after leaving church on a Sunday and you get into the car and you say, where do you want to go to eat? Anybody had that conversation? Uh, I, I saw recently in a, in a town that the name of a restaurant was I Don't Care. Oh, it's a great name for a restaurant because that's what happens when you leave the church. You say, where do you want to go? I don't care. Well, it's right down the street. 
right? And, and, and then, then somebody finally speaks up, and the other one or other ones in the vehicle go, well, I didn't really want to eat there. And so you, you start off kind of a little frustrated at that moment, and, you, you know, things begin to happen. And, and so in Scripture, when you begin to look at relationships, what you find is, is that there's a Greek word. You don't have to know Greek, but you can look it up maybe at some point. The Greek word is koinonia. Uh, koinonia means sharing in something with someone. That's fellowship. That's coming together, sharing in something with someone. And so today, I want to kind of show you uh, three things real quickly that we share together, and then I want to break out uh, into some other things as we move forward in this today. But but I want you to, to understand this. It is vitally important as a Christian that you are involved in relationships with other believers. Now, I want to tell you, it's real easy, especially as churches get larger and larger, it's real easy to slip in right at the last minute, get in on the worship, get in on the preaching, ease out as the service is being closed, and you literally can come and go and nobody ever know your name. It's definitely not cheers. Come on. And, and, you know, li- listen, do, do you know, let's talk about Cheers for a minute. Do you know why everybody wanted to go to Cheers? Because they were in a relationship. You know, you had the weird one sitting here, and you had the, the, the postman sitting here, and you had the doctor sitting over here, but it was all about relationships. They were goofy. They were messed up. You know, the bartender was an ex-alcoholic. Play with that one for a while. What's wrong? I love how Christians can be. I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> you lie and the truth's not in you. All right? Uh, you know, everybody wants to go where everybody knows their name. I mean, there's, there's something about coming together in relationship. And so when we, when we understand that, then we begin to say, wait a minute, as believers, what does that mean to us? And, and the, the New Testament word is koinonia, translated for us the word fellowship. And so how do we go about living out this relationship? How do we go about having true significant Christianity in our lives day in and day out when we live in relationships with others? First of all, the the first aspect when we begin to look about the things that we share is what we share in together. See, there are some things that Christians share in that no one else shares in. In fact, you have to be, uh, understand how I'll say this, you have to be part of the club to share in this. Now, I'm not calling the church a country club, far be it, but I am telling you, if you want to share in this part of the relationship, you've got to be in the club. How do I get in the club? Here's how you get in the club. You come to know Jesus. What are we sharing in? We're sharing in our common Christian inheritance and heritage. Now, now let me tell you something about it. What does that mean? That means this. That means that we are all saved by the grace of God. Would you look at your neighbors, those here and those watching as well, and just say, it's by grace that you got saved. Now, see, somebody needed to hear that because they thought it was something they did. And, and, you know, I've been to churches at times where it seemed like everybody in there thought that they were perfect. I can remember growing up in church and, and uh, wonderful experiences, but, but there were a few things that messed me up. Am I the only one? One thing that messed me up was testimony service. 
Anybody ever been in a church where they had testimony service? Oh, help us, Jesus, come quickly. And, and, and all kind of crazy stuff happened. You know, people get up, you know, I want to praise the Lord today. And, you know, the devil's been on my back all week long. Praise his holy name. And, you know, just, just crazy stuff. And spew out all your frustration for the week. But, but the thing that used to mess me up was when I would hear somebody get up and say, I am so thankful that from the day I got saved, I've never wanted to sin. And I was just sitting there going, I'm going straight to you know where. Now, what's wrong with you? I mean, because I'd hear that. It, it was like they were perfect, and, and I knew who I was, and I still do. And if you start saying that here, I'm going to leave. Here's the deal about it. It's we share in a common heritage. We share in a common inheritance, and that is, is that we are all striving for what God has for us. We have not reached it yet. We have not made it yet, but we are moving into everything that God has for us, and so we're able to come together. We're able to encourage each other. We're able to lift up each other. We're able to, to prod each other, the Bible says, unto good works because we share in this common heritage together. But not only is it what we share in together, it's also what we share out together, all right? What are, what are we giving out together? It's not just what we possess, but our common inheritance also comes out of our common service to the kingdom of God. In every aspect of your life, you've got to understand that you are called by Jesus Christ to serve in his kingdom. Have you ever been in a church where it felt like it was all about them. I can remember in, in, in college, I was sitting in a, in a church uh, that ran a, a thousand or so. To my paradigm at that time, I'd never been in a church that large. And, and, and it was a huge church, it seemed like to me. And I was sitting about the third row, and, I, and there was a couple that always sat in front of Sherry and I. And, um, and they would always sit there. And I can remember one time that this... this uh, person came in this guest came into the to the house and they sat in that seat and I just looked at Cherry and I said uh oh <laughs> because I knew that that was so and so's seat and you know what they walked up and they just stood at the end of the seat just kind of looked down at these people and these people kind of looked up you know a little nervous a little afraid I mean you know when you go to a new place it's a little intimidating anywhere and finally they looked down and they said you're in my seat I went, oh, I bet they'll be back next week, <laughs> right? Why? Because somebody had misunderstood what fellowship was about. They thought it was all about them instead of understanding that it was about someone else, about serving someone else, and about giving in to someone else. In fact, let me say this to you. If you don't serve in the kingdom of God, you are a very selfish individual. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, it, it just takes too much of my time. Really? Then we'll ask God to shorten it. <laughs> that gives us a whole different picture, doesn't it? Isn't it interesting that we all have 24 hours in a day, and yet some people can serve God, do their job, do their home, do all their stuff, and other people, I'm sorry, I know I'm kind of meddling. I'm, I, I just got to get this in, though. Some people can't serve because they're too busy. If you're too busy to serve, it's just like being too busy to pray. You're too busy. So it's not just about what we share in together. It's what we share out together. And then thirdly, it's what we share with one another. 
The Word of God, again, using that word koinonia, talks about our material possessions. Uh, the, the Bible says to those who are rich that they are to be especially generous. Now, when I use that term, I know everybody that thought that was thinking about somebody else. Well, I'm not rich. Bill Gates is rich, and he is. Right? I mean, whoever your professional athlete is that you like, they're rich, but you're not rich. Let me help you. If you make, according to world statistics, if you make over $34,000 a year, you are in the top 4% in the world. If you make $45,000 a year, you are in the top 1% in the world. All of a sudden, it changes, and you didn't know you were rich, but according to the rest of the world, most Americans are rich. And so what the Lord said to us, those who are rich, we're to be generous. We're to be givers. We're, we're to be looking outside of ourselves. It's what we are sharing out together. It's not what it, about me. It's not what about what I need. But, Lord, how can I demonstrate your love to somebody else? And, and you know what? Sometimes you need to do it to those guys on the street with a sign. Right? I mean, I saw one of these guys this week right up here, and, and, uh, and, and I've never seen anything like this. He, he had a little kitten on a string, and he was walking that cat. I, I, it was the funniest thing. I, came, I was with another pastor. We came around the corner, and there he was. He was about dragging that cat about three feet off the ground, and I laughed, uh, but, but he had his sign. You know, we'll work for food, and I've always wanted to stop and see if that really is true. But anyway... Come on, I, I love it, and, and, and I give to them. I don't give to all of them, but I give to some. In fact, I was in San Francisco recently, uh, and uh, I was on the street corner, and, and the, the sign said something on this order. Uh, to tell you the truth, I'm not hungry. I just want to buy a beer. <laughs> and I went, I, my hat's off. I'm not going to give you any money, but my hat's off to you because the other hundred I passed by said they were hungry, and they just wanted to use it for beer too, so... See, and sometimes you need to help those guys, gals. I mean, you say, why? Because the Bible tells you to. The Bible says give to those less fortunate. Well, pastor, they'll use it for booze. It's not your problem. The Bible says give. It doesn't say give and tell them what to do with it. They'll, they'll misuse it sometimes. They'll do stupid stuff with it. But the Word of God still says if you give to the poor, God will return to you. But sometimes above and beyond that, according to Scripture, the Word of God says that we are to give especially to those who are the household of faith. Do you know what? In any church, uh, there's always people who have needs. There's always people who are going through a tough time. They're, they're going through a rough time, a rough patch maybe. Maybe somebody lost a job. Maybe it's a single parent uh, who's uh, trying to raise some children. Maybe it's just a person uh, who's just right now in a crunch for some reason. Maybe something hit them that they weren't expecting, a sickness or something. And you know what? The Word of God tells us as a group of believers that if we are in relationship, that we ought to go out of our way and help one another. I want to tell you, if you never give to anybody outside of your four and no more, something's wrong. Well, pastor, I don't have a lot. 
That's not the point. The point is share sometimes out of your need. But you know what? I don't know what the needs are if I'm not in relationship with somebody else. So I've got to enter into relationship. If I'm going to be a person who is living significantly as a Christian, then I've got to come to that place where day in and day out, I'm in relationship with other believers and I'm moving forward in what God's called me to. But that relationship flows out of something. The book of 1 John 1, 3 says this. Here's what the apostle John says. He says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Here's what John is saying. He's saying out of our relationship with God flows fellowship for one another. In other words, get this. You can't have true koinonia, true fellowship, if you aren't in relationship with Jesus Christ. But out of your relationship with God Almighty, then you can have fellowship with those who are believers in the body of Christ, and you can begin to see the glory of God. Listen, I've gone all over the world and walked into churches where I did not understand what they were saying. I did not understand what they were singing. I did not know the style of music they were using, etc., etc. But if they were believers, there was a moment of instant connection as I walked through the doors because their relationship was with the same God that I have a relationship with and it brought us together in unity and in fellowship that's what God's called us to and so we've got to learn how to get there now there's there's some elements uh, of biblical fellowship that I want to talk about there, there's some things that kind of go into this if we're really going to live out biblical true fellowship in this thing of relationship and first of all is fellowship always includes a challenge to grow I get it. Write it down if you're taking notes. Fellowship always includes a challenge to grow. How many of you remember when you got saved? Well, now I know who make the altar call for. Whole bunch of you. Hey, let me ask that again. How many of you remember when you got saved? There we go. That's better. Now, if you are still at the same place that you were when you got saved, something's wrong. I mean, salvation is like babyhood, but we don't want to stay a baby for 25 years. So we need some people in our life who will prod us a little bit, who will talk to us a little bit, who will challenge us every once in a while. Have you ever had anybody challenge you? I was in a, in a deal, and I think it was a couple of years ago now, I don't remember, but I was, I was in some mentoring relationship, somebody was speaking into my life, and they looked at me and they asked me the question. They said, who is it in your life that has refrigerator rights? And, and when they said that, I just went, huh? And they said, who has refrigerator rights in your life? And I said, what are you talking about? They said, who is it that's in your life that's able to walk into your house and that you have such a tight relationship with them that they can walk right to your refrigerator, open it up, see what's in there, make them a sandwich, get them a cold drink, whatever they need, and, and just go. And I said, he said, do you have any? And I said, yeah, I do. He said, well, you need people like that in your life. And so uh, next Sunday or so, I mentioned that in a sermon. And, and within a week or so, somebody brought, handed me a book, said, Pastor, here's the book about refrigerator rights. 
And there actually was a book that a guy wrote about everybody needs somebody in their life that has refrigerator rights. In other words, you need some people in your life who know everything about you and aren't impressed (laughs) and aren't condemning. I mean, come on, I've been around guys who their ego is so big they couldn't fit in this auditorium. I mean, they believed everything he said about that. I mean, you know, when I go preach somewhere, minister somewhere, they'll say all kind of stuff, and, and you know, and, and I'm just looking around saying, who are they talking about? You know, what, what is it? And, and, you know, they'll say, you know, one of the greatest preachers, and then I get in the car and start to leave, and I look at Sherry, and I say, I wonder how many great preachers there are, and she goes, one less than you think. <laughs> huh. You need some people in your life who challenge you, who, and, and they move you to grow in your relationship with God. Secondly, fellowship has to involve sharing Jesus Christ with one another. Now, we talked about witnessing in the first week of this series. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in your relationship with God, do you have other believers in your life that you are sharing with them what Jesus is doing in your life right now? I mean, when was the last time that you walked up to somebody that you are in relationship with and said, let me tell you what Jesus is doing in my life? For some of you, I can tell that's a foreign concept. And yet it's what the Word of God tells us to do. Do you know that in the New Testament, over 50 times, there is the injunction, there is the provocation of the words, one another. It says to pray for one another. It says to exhort one another. It says to love one another. I mean, there are over 50 one another scriptures in the Word of God. Now, when I find that in the New Testament, what that means is, is that I've got to be willing to be sharing out of my life what Jesus is saying to me. I have people who will come to me periodically and say, Pastor, let me share with you what Jesus is saying. Let me tell you what I saw. And and a lot of times, it will be wonderful stuff. It'll be great. And I go, man, I am so glad that you told me what is going on in your life. But some of us keep that bottled up. Some of us become like the Dead Sea. We take in, but we never give out. God's called you, yes, to receive, but he has also called you to give out. You need some believers. You need some people who know Jesus, who are in your life, that you are sharing with them what God is doing in your life on a weekly and even a daily basis of what's happening. Thirdly, fellowship has got to do one more thing, and that is it must motivate us to consistent outreach. It's, it's got to motivate you to get out of the, the, you know, the, the place of of comfort and to present Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. How many of you know that people are lost? Do you really? You need somebody who asks you every once in a while, when was the last time you witnessed anybody? Uh Uh-oh. It's quiet sometimes in the house, so I just look at the video here. See, there's, there's this whole aspect of understanding that each and every one of us are called of God and we are called for a purpose and out of what Jesus Christ is doing in our life, somebody needs to be prodding me to share to others who don't know him. There's somebody in your life right now that you need to tell Jesus about, that you need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, you know my friend. 
I want you to do something on their behalf. And a lot of us do that part. We tell Jesus about them, and that's wonderful. But not only do I need to tell Jesus about them, I need to tell them about Jesus. I need to let them know that there is a God who cares for them, that there is a Savior who died on their behalf so that they could be saved. I need to do that, and sometimes that takes somebody in my life who just kind of nudges me a little bit and says, are you telling anybody about Jesus Christ? And so as we begin to understand that, then there are some things that happen. If we really are doing this, then there are some results that take place in our life that flow out of this relationship thing. If we're really doing it, then some things begin to happen. The number one thing, and I love this, I think this is probably the the greatest as far as I'm concerned, and that is this, fellowship results in encouragement. You ever had a tough day? Tough week? What about a month? Do I have anybody for a whole year? Anybody going for a decade? Anybody for a millennium? I mean, you know, we've all gone through those, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I mean, we've all been there. We've all experienced those those heartaches and those moments where it was just like, I don't want to pray. Okay. Maybe you've never been there. I've been there. I've been at those moments of my life that I said, I prayed about this and it didn't get any better. I'm not praying about it anymore. See, I'll just tell you. I won't mess with you. Because there are those moments that have been in my life as I've transitioned and walked with God for all these years that things didn't go the way that I thought that they ought to go. And things didn't happen the way that I thought that they ought to happen. And in those moments... I needed somebody to show up in my life and encourage me. I needed somebody to come along and tell me, you know what? Weeping may endure for the night, but there's a morning coming and there's going to be some joy in that morning. I mean, I've had to have people walk into my life at times and say, "I, I know you're down and I know you messed up and I know it doesn't look like you're ever going to be able to fix it, but there's a God who's bigger than your mess. See, I don't know. Maybe some of you don't need that, but I need that in my life. I need people who are in my life in the good times, and you know what? But I need people in my life in the bad times. I need people there when I am on the floor and I am a mess and I have destroyed everything around me, and yet they still love me. All right? And and the Word of God says that, that you need to weep with those who weep, right? You need to find some people who can weep with you. But the Bible also says that you are to rejoice with those who rejoice. Now, I'm going to throw a little caveat in here for a moment. I think as believers, we do the weeping real well. But I've noticed that we don't do the rejoicing real well sometimes. I mean, if they are busted and disgusted and broke, we can cry. But if they drive up in a new Lexus, if they get a new house, we start muttering. Well... I wonder who they're kissing up to, right? But if I can weep with you, then I need to learn how to also rejoice with you, and that's what true relationship and fellowship is all about when we walk together in that. Now, let me tell you something else that fellowship does. Fellowship involves correction. 
Everybody in here has a tendency to get off course. Everybody listening and watching to me today, you have a tendency to get off course. You know, I've heard, and I need to research this more in depth, but I've heard that on a transatlantic flight uh, that the plane is off course over 75% of the time. Now, that makes all of you who are scared of flying already really happy, doesn't it? All right? But it's not the 75% that gets them there. It's the 25% correction. I, I would dare say that some of us, and I think I'm in that category, some of us are off about 75% of the time. But thank God for somebody in our life who brings that 25% correction and keeps us moving in the direction God wants us to. And so when you're without fellowship, you don't have that, and you don't realize how you're deviating from what God's called you to, from the straight and the narrow, and you kind of get off. But when you're walking with God, then you begin to see it, and you begin to move on. The third thing, let me, let me hit the third thing, and we'll, we'll get out of this real quickly here today. Uh, the, the third thing is, is that fellowship helps us become what we ought to be. Fellowship helps me become what we ought to be. All right? Uh, Proverbs 13, 20 says, walk with the wise and become wise. Who are you walking with? I'll go ahead and read the rest of it. For a companion of fools suffers harm. I grew up in a home where my parents had these sayings that I hated. Anybody else? My father died when I was in a car accident when I was 14, uh, but until that point, one of his favorite sayings was, son, as long as your feet are under this table. Anybody heard that one? You're going to go by this rules of this house, all right? My mom had one. I got, you know, after my dad was killed and I was a teenager and, you know, wasn't prophesying and raising the dead at that point in my life anyway. Uh, and, and I was, was doing some things and running with some people. My mom used to say, birds of a feather... Oh, yeah, you had the same mom, too. And it would just irritate the heck out of me. I mean, I would just go, oh, God, is so old-fashioned and old fogey. And then I heard it coming out of my mouth when I had kids. I went, okay. But you know what? Who you run around with determines what happens in your life. And so I would encourage you in fellowship when you're looking for, you know, don't, don't look for the most disgruntled person in the church. Well, I wonder who complains the loudest about the music. I wonder who complains the most about the air conditioner. I wonder who doesn't like the preacher. I'm going to find that person. Well, you're going to suffer what the Bible says there. Or find somebody who's alive, somebody who loves Jesus, somebody who is wise and moving forward, and let them minister in your life. Now, let me close with this. Here's what relationships provide in your life. Real quick, three things. People to live with. That's what relationships are about. A family. Some of, you are, some of you are so disconnected from your earthly family. You know, maybe you're a thousand miles away or maybe there's, there's some rift because of whatever. But you know what? The, the church, the body of Christ provides a family. And then thirdly, uh, it, there's a place of support and encouragement. And that's what relationships are about. That's what we're called to do day in and day out. Now, let me share this with you as I close. Some of you are sitting here today and you're going, well, you know what? I'm looking for a church just like that, and this isn't the church because I've been here for five years and nobody loves me. Really? Do, do you know that the Bible says that if you want to have friends, 
You've got to show yourself what? Friendly. 